0: the question a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia we sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are from pannoni honors college drexel university dr melinda lewis here i'm your host Hello,
1: I'm here with Matt Weiss, an alum of Drexel University, former Star Scholar, and currently a mechanical engineer at the U.S. Naval Research Laboratory, and we're here to talk about robots. Hi, Matt. How are you?
2: Hi, I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Are you excited? Oh, I'm very excited. I love talking about robots. I
1: got so excited about talking about this that I realized that I don't know what a robot is. (laughs) Really? (laughs) And as I was going through all of the examples, I was like Terminator, uh, RoboCop, like sure, uh, yeah, uh, District 9. And then I realized, no, I don't know if those all constitute robots, actually. I don't think any of the things that I'm thinking of are. No,
2: they all do. Oh,
1: oh, good. Oh, good. So I'm not completely wrong. So can you explain to me why I am right? Yeah,
2: absolutely. So robot is really the broadest term you could use to describe basically any sort of machine that is capable of sensing its environment and making some computations to make a decision and then perform an action in the real world. And though we are worlds apart, like us, there's more to them than meets the eye. There's some debate among engineers at what qualifies as a robot for example like the thermostat in your house I think could qualify as a really simple robot just measures the temperature it decides whether or not to turn the air conditioning or the heater on or yeah, something like a dishwasher or an elevator ah. like these are really simple robots that are already all around us and make our life much easier uh, but don't really fit into the classical science fiction robot that looks like a human and is waiting on you in but <laughs> yeah so an Android would be a robot that looks like a person. That actually comes from a Greek word that means just like looks like man. And so that would be like a robot like C-3PO from Star Wars, which is Mm. really what generalized and popularized that term of android. And in the robotics community, we don't really use the word android too much. Nobody worries about upsetting a droid. We more use the word humanoid robot, and that would just be any robot that has two arms and a head and sometimes two feet, but not necessarily. Mm. Something like NASA's Robonaut would be an example of a robot that just has two arms and a head and that would be considered a humanoid robot.
1: Is there beef with the term android? Is there a reason why y'all don't use it? Or is it just to be more technical?
2: There's surprising very little beef of the robotics community. Okay. We're, just, we're just excited to talk about robots. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is some sort of distance between the android of movies and humanoid robots of real life that Mm -hmm. I think humanoid robots are a little bit more descriptive, uh, rather than android is a little bit more narrowly focused and gender specific. But there is some more distinction between what a cyborg is. So that Mm -hmm. would be a robot that has some sort of living organism that is modified with electronics. So that would be like your RoboCop or your Iron Man, where it's part person, part living thing, but is modified or enhanced by electronics. And there's actually a good amount of real life applications where like someone has a pacemaker or a cochlear hearing implant or like a robotic prosthetic limb. So those people would all be considered cyborgs or someone living like there's also exoskeleton suits that help people like lift packages and in industrial mm-hmm. scenarios. So there's actually a good amount of progress of creating some real life cyborgs all around us.
0: All right, listen. The Terminator's an infiltration unit, part man, part machine. Underneath it's a hyper-alloy combat chassis,
2: microprocessor controlled, fully armored, very tough, but outside it's living human tissue, flesh, skin, hair, Blood grown for the cyborgs. Look, Reese, I don't know what you want. Pay attention!
1: Coming from a cultural studies background, cyborgs are probably the ones that in the humanities we spend a lot more time talking about because Donna Haraway, she wrote the Cyborg Manifesto that we use all the time to talk about the convergence of bodies and and tech.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. And it's it's definitely a huge industry of both being able to enhance the human body as well as just help people with disabilities. Mm. It's a great field to work in where you really get to feel like you're making a difference where instead of just making a pile of parts that is working together, then you're actually able to interact with the human who is actually using the product or using mm-hmm. the machine and uh, that's definitely really rewarding
1: mm. as you were talking i realized my first robot was the little dogs oh, that yeah. would do the little flips and you would just be so excited <laughs> for that little puppy hey
2: i'm morse the mutt you what new poochie reacts to pets sounds in life what's the matter fella? He's
1: just begging for his bone. and listen to him sing to each other it was the most invigorating time of my life, perhaps.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Or like those Furbies. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: And just the eyes look up and they, mm-hmm. they blink. And like that's all it takes to make you think, it's like, oh, this thing is alive. Yeah. This is my pet.
1: Yeah. Oh, that was such a phenomenon. <laughs> of course, by now, almost all of us have heard of what toy stars are beginning to call the
2: F word. F for Furbies. I can't tell you what he's saying, but I know he wants something. He sounds like my husband. Now, like any interactive toy, if you don't play with Furby, he goes to sleep and you may have to reset him.
1: Again, he sounds like my husband. (laughs) How do you think popular culture kind of handles robots generally and maybe these delineations specifically? Popular
2: culture generally wildly overestimates what a robot can do. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're still really at the point where a humanoid robot, if it can walk without falling over, And that's really impressive, Uh, (laughs) let alone think for itself or fight crime or become a superhero. I mean, robots are still in a really early infancy phase uh, when compared to things that are shown on screen in popular culture. Mm. And even videos of real robots online, people see a robot doing a backflip and think that we're only two years away from robots taking over.
1: (laughs) This is it. That's That's it. (laughs) And we don't see the background we don't see like the 90 takes it took to get the robot to flip
2: yep yeah absolutely in that
1: particular way so it's like yeah, this is all we get. And so this is the limited vantage point that we see.
2: Yeah. And so many times, like you you try to make a robot do something really impressive and you're just constantly breaking the robot and you're pushing the limits of both the software and the hardware. And there's so many points where the robot breaks and you have to take an extra month to just rebuild the <laughs> robot. So you're going to do a second attempt. And that's how, you know, Progress is made where you find the weak points mm-hmm. and are able to get something that is a little bit more reliable. Do you
1: think that there's a good example in popular culture of robots or is it all pretty bad?
2: One of my favorite movies is Big Hero 6. Oh, okay. The robotics itself is a little far-fetched. Mm-hmm. Having a, a robot being able to fly and diagnose someone's health conditions and the actual development of the robot is actually pretty dead on. Mm. I mean, There's the sequence, particularly in the film, where there's a video log that they're reviewing of this older brother trying out the robot and it cuts between like trial six where it turns the lights off and because it takes so much power to run and trial 33 where it starts to accidentally slap him in the face because it's not doing what he thought it would and then it's to like trial 84 and it's finally working. This is uh, Tadashi Yamada and this is the 84th test. What do you say, big guy? Hello, I am Baymax, your personal healthcare companion. It works. It
0: works! work i knew it i knew it i knew it i knew
2: it and that kind of both a just like videotaping everything happens all the time mm-hmm. where we want to be able to go back and look at footage to see if the robot does fail what happens first and like what is causing the failure as well as just like the emotional journey so there's definitely some uh some nostalgia there seeing <laughs> animated movies that portray robotics that inspire a younger generation
1: Did you start in high school or did you start far younger?
2: I was always a hands-on kid building and tinkering, Mm -hmm. but I think the first robot I ever built was in high school. We had a robotics club that was fortunate enough to participate in this yearly competition where you basically build a robot from the ground up. And it was a really good learning experience of just knowing what actually went into making one, Mm -hmm. both the mechanical design, which is what I leaned more towards, but also the electronics and the software. Do you
1: remember when you were like, this is it? Like this? This is what I want to like go
2: into. I think there were a few pivotal moments. The first major one was seeing the movie Iron Man that came out in like 2008. That feels like a root. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I was like 13 years old at the time. And that was just a really inspiring movie Seeing Tony Stark build this robot and I think that it was also a movie that shows the iterations and the development of having the first prototype that kind of works, but mm. is a little hacky and put together and built in a cave with scraps and then <laughs> going and making that second generation, which is much better, but still has a lot of problems and just like that iteration period. I and mean, not being perfect the first time and that is okay. And really fine tuning and uh, going through that design process was, was really intriguing as a little kid.
0: I thought you said you were done making weapons.
2: It is. This is a flight stabilizer. It's completely hopeless. I didn't expect that. And then that inspired me to try out the robotics club at school and Mm -hmm. start actually playing with my hands and building something that resembled what someone could classify as a robot. (laughs) And then I think the second pivotal moment was at that same time of joining the robotics club in high school was the first physics class I took. Mm. I was like finally learning things that I thought was really cool of like learning projectile motion and you know all these different types of phenomena that was really fascinating to me and so that kind of felt even more of a confidence booster that I could study these things and have it be applicable to something that I was really interested in and then I think the last one was actually. The internship I did through the Drexel Star Program of mm. working in a robotics lab and actually seeing that robotics could be a career, and not just something that some people meet up after school and do, but you know, <laughs> something that people dedicate their lives to and, and get paid to do to develop and test and break these robots is something that was a, an eye open experience for me. That I think really gave me the the confidence that. I could pursue a career in robotics.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the STAR program is great because it provides the experience to spend 10 weeks of a summer really learning a little bit more about a field and working with a mentor who can like help guide you, I'm assuming on this journey. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, at the time we were trying to get this humanoid robot to play the drums and I was 3D printing some adapters (laughs) for the hands so that I could actually hold onto the drumsticks, And then I ended up, breaking a hand and having to completely rebuild the hand it was like one value wrong the rate at which the robot turns its wrist and i added an extra zero and it just went really really fast and overtorqued the motor and then it broke a finger because the stick hits too hard on the drum i know you you know me one thing i can tell you is you got to be free come together
0: When you broke
1: that robot's hand, did you feel bad?
2: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, bad for the robot, bad for myself, bad for the (laughs) professor that might have to buy a new hand. But it turned out it it wasn't bad.
1: It's your mom. I have a question about that podcast you do. Are you on the Instagram or the Twitter or the Facebook? You know, like, if I have an idea for a podcast, how do I get in touch with you? Love you. Bye.
0: Sup, Mom? Uh, yeah. So you can find us on all those things, actually. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just go to Pod on any one of those and follow. If you want to send us ideas, you can either go over to our website and leave us a message at popq podcast, or you can get us directly at popq at drexel.edu. You can actually find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, I can help set it up when I get home, but then you have to promise me to read and review. All right, love you. Bye. <laughs>
1: I did do some snooping, and you were a part of Drexel's improv team. Yes, yeah. The Drexel football team, which doesn't exist, but does exist.
2: Yes, we kind of exist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but how has improv, you know, like how do you work that into your projects?
2: Yeah, it's actually that it's surprisingly really applicable to designing hardware and working in a collaborative setting. In improv, you walk out on stage with some teammates and you have no idea what you're going to say or what they're going to respond to, and you're building this scene together and mm-hmm. establishing characters and then trying to find the funny in that scene and trying to find a world in which something quirky might happen that you know gets them laughs and it's really a great lesson in being able to be present in the moment and collaborate with what is currently being said and think about what other people are saying mm-hmm. that that's directly applicable to the collaborative process of designing robotics and or just designing hardware in general you know you meet up with three or four people and they're all sitting around a table and everyone's kind of throwing out ideas and some of them might seem silly and Till the ideas kind of start to not feel silly and mm. start think of something that might actually be novel and new that someone hasn't thought of before and That kind of process of listening to other people's ideas and incorporating them into your own and reworking them into something that is new is I think what people find funny about improv. And Mm -hmm. I think what actually makes great engineering of being able to collaborate, synthesize new ideas and not be closed minded. And that's been something that's surprisingly useful from comedy (laughs) to improv to engineering to just in life in general.
1: Yeah. I might be wrong, but I feel like a lot of popular culture texts make robotics a solo endeavor. Mm-hmm. Like it's always the lone man.
2: <laughs> this one person in the lab just like turning a wrench and all of a sudden like everything is figured out. Yeah,
1: which is probably like maybe a throwback to like Frankenstein, right? And the creation <laughs> sure. of whatever.
2: It's alive. Oh, it's alive.
1: I've never heard of anybody actually working at Drexel or talking about robotics in a way that was a solo project. No,
2: no. And that's what makes it so much fun of how multidisciplinary it is of being able to sit across the table from someone that is in a totally different mindset of thinking about how they would control the things I design or someone else thinking about how to give it power and make sure that it knows its position. And there's definitely real camaraderie of collaboration between all those different types of fields in order to actually get something together.
1: I think that's also part of the thing is like what worlds can we create and what worlds can we build yeah. and what can we do to fill in those gaps?
2: No, I think popular culture, especially in robotics, they like to basically jump from building the robot to the robot is built and is now suddenly evil. And there's so much <laughs> space in between there. That's definitely a little overstated from the current state of technology. That Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead.
1: Why does the robot get the bad rap? Like, why is its consciousness raising always (laughs) so destructive?
2: Well, I think in part because it, It's so interesting to be able to, almost going back to that Frankenstein story of Mm. having something of your own creation that turns against you one day because you've given it too much freedom to think on its own. and. I think that is a really compelling story to be entertained by. But in terms of reality, we're incredibly far away from that. I mean, there's tons of research into how robots think for itself, but that's in the level of like making sure they can be able to stand and balance by itself (laughs) and not ponder life and its existence. And so thinking back to kind of like Ultron or a Terminator that have decided that the robots are better than the humans and they need to be taken out, those are... I think make compelling stories but are uh, less <laughs> realistic
1: have you ever seen small wonder
2: no no is that, a, is that a movie
1: no it was a television show in the 80s she's fantastic made of plastic microchips here and there she's
2: the small wonder brings love and love
1: Was about a family and the father built a robot daughter that they named vicky i mean she looked like a little girl yeah but everything about her was definitely robot but of course nobody in the community clocked her <laughs> isn't he cute my name is rodney pleased to meet you my name is vicky
0: pleased to meet you <laughs>
2: There's a lot of times in movies, like I'm thinking of like Alien, where it's like that character was a robot the whole time. Oh, and yeah, noticed, yeah, and It's like their face falls off and there's all wires underneath and mm-hmm. everyone was tricked because it sounded like a person and it looked like a person. <laughs> it's a what? robot. And I think it's interesting to see like what the general pop culture view of what the future would look like. You know, mm-hmm. there's something like Back to the Future where everything is super clean and looks amazing and then the slow transition, you know, into the early 2000s, where it's disaster movies and Mm -hmm. post apocalyptic movies, and the robots are taking over, you know, kind of that transition from the popular culture point of view of maybe people got sick of seeing the world and the future being perfect and they want to see something more gritty and maybe that's the narrative that people are more interested in and so the robot perfectly fits that narrative of it turning evil
1: yeah you're so right because I was thinking about the Jetsons and how that's such Mm -hmm. a wonderful like look at this imagine this wonderful future where we don't (laughs) have to work as hard and we can play with our robots and have a robot maid who can like also be sassy and like it's just going to be such a lovely world Mm -hmm.
2: I may be homely, Buster, but I'm S-M-A-R-T smart. I like her, and I'll take her. Oh, thank you, ma'am. Thank you.
1: And then cut to, like, the 80s, where it's just everybody's hunting you all the time.
2: (laughs) That's right. Please put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You now
1: have 15 seconds to comply. You are in direct violation of Team Code 113, Section 9. You now have
2: 5 seconds to comply. Yeah, I think that, that does ring true of anything that a robot does a human is behind it. I mean, <laughs> even all of these crazy maneuvers and gymnastics and robots doing all these complex things. There's a team of dozens of engineers that are putting their, their life's work into making that happen. And having something that just starts to happen by itself is totally out of, out of the realm of possibility. And, uh, you know, we're seeing that more and more of, even with AI and having AI text feedback and all of that is just taken from human writing and just kind of regurgitating it in new ways. And so I think that that's similar to what a robot would do. You know, having pre-programmed paths that it is able to choose which way to navigate a corner or navigate a hallway. And a human has planned, you know, multiple different paths and it's just choosing which one it thinks is best.
1: When choosing what, to assign a robot to do. What is the decision that this is what we're going to make him do?
2: I think part of it is just giving a goal to try and work towards. Mm. Yeah, like what is the useful purpose of having a, a robot try and play the drums? So there's not a huge application there, but of all the (laughs) algorithms that you develop in order to get the robot reliable enough to be in time with music or getting some hardware upgrades so that the hand can move that fast. I mean, that really gives you good milestones Mm -hmm. to hit in order to show what the robot's capability is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's helpful from a demonstration point of view. I think a lot of robotics is very show and tell. Mm. It's a very something that you can see the progress being made I feel like a lot of times we're just trying to play catch up <laughs> to nature and having something that can even do a fraction of what the human body can do is, is really impressive there's electric cars there's electric
1: trains here comes a
2: robot with electric brains
1: robot parade
2: One of the things that makes robotics such a fun field to work in is the fact that there is so much distance between the current state of the art of technology and what is depicted in movies, that it gives you such a big runway for being able to contribute to the field. And it keeps things like really exciting to be able to make new hardware that gets you one step closer to having something that can wait on you hand and foot or can make your life that much easier. And Mm -hmm. the main takeaway is if you're worried about the robot taking over and having to fight back against them you could definitely sleep well at night knowing that we're a long long ways away from that
1: well matt that was that's all that i needed to hear so thank you very much <laughs> for being here and putting my mind at ease because i spend countless nights wondering about our future courtesy of terminator
0: so oh
2: yeah you can sleep easy
0: pop the question was researched and hosted by dr melinda lewis our theme music and episodes are produced by brian Cantoric with additional audio production by noah levine all of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paula Morans Cohen, and the Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice. We're talking about practice, man.
2: I'll be back.